Thank you for choosing to listen to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. For more resources and information on our church or our team, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Today we have the privilege of having one of our NCMI partners with us here to speak. And so, Joe, if you don't mind coming up and I'll introduce you and we'll pray for you. Um, Joe and Sue, his wife is here, and Nadine, their daughter. Um, Joe is an NCMI partner and leads a church in Upland, California. And he is a marketplace leader as well. And so we praise God for that, and we know that God uses, uh, hopefully, marketplace leaders, right? Yes, amen. So uh, join me in praying for Joe as he delivers the word of God to us today. So, yeah, yeah. Father, thank you for your servant, uh, Joe, that has come here to share the life-giving truth of Jesus with us. I pray that today um, that you would use his words to transform lives, that we wouldn't leave the same way we came. And I pray, Father, that you would give Joe a sense of your presence as he delivers your word, give him peace. Open our hearts, Father, to receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, hello, everybody. Boy, Sue, could you come up for a moment? It's my lovely wife. We've been uh, married for 38 years, right? She's, uh, she deserves a big crown for sticking in there with me, definitely. Why did all you clap? You don't even know me yet. Jeez. Yeah, but um, I just want you to come up. If you can stand on this side because you can catch maybe some of the audio here okay. as you're speaking and just uh, kind of tell them a little bit about us and where we're at. Okay. Um, oh, here you oh. go. There you go. Thank you. We're from California, uh, Upland, a, name, a city named Upland. Uh, we've been pastoring a church there now for 12 years called Gracious Living Church. And so, yes, we've had the privilege of coming out and being with you all. And um, it's been such a blessing, such a blessing to be with you guys. We just feel like part of the family immediately. And uh, we were blessed to bring our daughter, Nadine. Uh, this is our second daughter. She's 21 years old. Want to stand up and say hi to everyone? It's a very quiet person. She's a quiet one in the family. We have another daughter that's 37 years old. She's back home with four babies. Well, not babies. One's 21 also. And then we have a seven, a six, and a five-year-old uh, grandchildren. So one boy in there. The very last one was a boy. So Joe is very Yahoo. happy about yes, that because we good. are a family of girls. Yeah. <laughs> Even our pets are girls. Yes. So when Nathan, our grandson, came along, he was like, yes. <laughs> so he's got the privilege of uh, birthday shopping for him, Christmas shopping for him. That's right. We leave that to him. Very good. Uh, so anyways, yeah, we've been married what, 38 years? And glorious years. Glorious Wonderful years. years. Wonderful years. There you go. Love them. Every day is a blessing. <laughs> what else you all want to know? I like that phrase, you all. Back at home, we say, you guys, hey there. <laughs> it's very like, oh. So, yeah, so that's us. <laughs> all right, thanks. You can go ahead and step back to Jeremy. Um, I just want to say greetings from Tyron and Nicole and the team. I'm sure he's been here. 
And when he walks in a room, you know he's here because he shakes everything in the room. Just when you think you've caught up with something or you know what's really going on and you catch it, then he comes out and he says something else. So there's a, there's a saying out there that he's made from past apostles' ports. And uh, yeah, and he, it travels with him wherever he goes. But I love your, uh, your mission statement up there, to know Christ and to, to make him known. Yesterday I spoke a little bit around that. And if you get the audio, it'd be good for you to hear because it's, it's what you're here for. God's brought you here for a particular reason. God brought you here because he's been training you for a long time. Now, you may not realize that, but he's been training you even when you're out on the streets playing tag or whatever you play, basketball, sports, football, and those big around here, obviously. But God's trained you from a long period of time. And I'm just here to remind you and to be a blessing to all of you guys, because when I was sitting and praying and coming to thinking about coming out this way, I was really asking God for a message for all of you, because I know that God's always speaking and he wants to speak. And I believe some of the things that Christians go through in life is we start telling all the old, and I'm just going to use this phrase, football stories about when this happened or that happened, or maybe baseball, whatever sport you're in, or maybe activity that you're in. And you talk about the day, and I meet Christians a lot of times that are that have been very faithful and very fruitful in their ministries. But when you start talking, it's about what's happened, uh, not yesterday, but years ago. Good things, God things. But currently, the question is, what has God said to you today? So not that I'm going to ask, but if somebody went around to you and said, when's the last time you prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed? And you may think, well, geez, that's an awkward thing to ask. You know, does, you know, what glory to God does that give? It brings a lot of glory because you had faith to believe that God could heal and touch that person or change that person's situation. And I just use the word healing, but it's no different than going to somebody and asking them, do you know the Lord? So when's the last time in your Christian walk have you brought somebody to Christ or at least deposited a seed of something that could grow later on? And I believe those are the current stories that are all in the New Testament text, and that's why we love to read them so much, because they're full of power, right? You read this stuff, you go, wow, this is great, right? And it's happened then, and this is a story. No, it's real life. It's a love letter that's, that's sent to people. But those things are actually happening today, and I'm sure you've heard that before, but I want to say this to you. They're happening today, and they've happened around me many times, and it happened outside of the four walls of my local church, and I love my local church. I love this church. Honestly, I, I feel great. Like Susan said, it feels like home. We're driving through the other day, just coming in, and I just told her, I said, man, this is awesome. I, I told her, I like it here. This is nice. You guys are an oasis. You're living the dream. Give the Lord a shout for the dream. Hi, you Honestly, you guys are living the dream. Honestly, it's a beautiful place, a beautiful place. But this morning, I'd like to speak to you around the leader within. I truly believe, as I read through the text, that God's been training people in life, and that he's, they're being prepared for life into eternal life. It's a continual um, massaging of what God wants to do in a person's life. I stood 30 years out in the world, did not get saved, was not saved till age 30, and God trained me actually where I was to get in front of people, to break the barriers that I needed to break, and uh, to be able to be pleasing to people so they'd want to talk to me. I'm in the insurance and investment business. I have been for years. I still am. That's where most of my peanuts and popcorn come from, and I'm happy for it, and I like it, and I love what I do. But compared to this, 
I hate what I do, honestly, because this is the best thing that's ever. And I'll tell you, not so much speaking from the pulpit, but meeting you guys personally, honestly, that's better to me. In the early days of our, of our uh, ministry time, as we're leading our first church, this is our second church that we planted, we used to go to Equips, and you've heard about them, and there's going to be more of a more opportunity for you guys to come. Hopefully one day there'll be one here, too, as well. And we would go early just to hang out with people. We were on the deacon team. I think, was, yeah, just the deacon team at that time, right? I say, Jess, it's a, lot, it's a big deal, honestly, being on that deacon team. You know that you're on it. Those are on it right now. It's a privilege. But we were on that team, and we would go out early just to hang out with people, just to grab a meal, to see where they lived, to see what they were doing, what they were talking about. It's incredible. That was just as exciting as listening to the different speakers coming from different countries coming in and depositing something inside me. We live in a great partnership, as what's set up here, a great, great partnership. But before we get started, it's Father's Day, right? Happy Father's Day to all of you, honestly, and your happy Father's Day. Yeah, give a clap for the dads. Come on. But I, I ran across this Father's Day video. They we're playing it back at our home church, a Gracious Living Church in the city of Upland. And I'd like to uh, bless you with it, and hopefully it'll brighten up your day and make you laugh a little bit. If you're still struggling with life in the real world, you're going to love our latest home speaker device. Hey, Dad, what kind of pliers should I use on this? Uh, you should be using a wrench. Oh, do I have a wrench? You have three. Ah, thanks, Dad. Introducing the Dad Personal Assistant, our newest smart speaker with all the character and compassion of a father. Up and at him, it's a beautiful day. Dad, it's Saturday. Yeah, it's a great day to get outside. It's 6 a.m. Well, then you better get moving before it gets any later. Designed with advanced features, the Dad PA connects to all your other smart home devices. Dad, please set the thermostat to 70 degrees. No problem. Setting the thermostat to 68 degrees. Um, no, let's keep it at 70 degrees. Sure thing. Thanks, Dad. We're going to save so much money. He syncs with your calendar to help you stay on track. <laughs> Looks like you're overdue for an oil change. Oh, hey, you're right. Can you schedule one for Friday? I've already got it scheduled. Just don't miss it, okay? <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> Seriously, don't miss it. The Dad PA is always watching out for you. Lights on. Uh, hey, it's getting late. I think it's about time for Brad to head home. <sighs> Dad! The Dad Personal Assistant includes a wealth of knowledge and opinions on a wide variety of subjects. Dad, can you help me with my taxes? Dad, do you know a good mechanic? Hey, Dad, can you tell me a joke? Sure. The joke is one billion dollars. Uh, I don't get it. That's right. And you never will. Ah, nice one. <laughs> Oh, I'm hilarious. Based on God's original design, the dad personal assistant is wise, caring, faithful, and devoted. Don't worry. You've got this. You are the strongest person I know. You have made me so proud. You are God's child, and you don't need anyone else to complete you, especially not Brad. <sighs> Really, Dad? I'm just saying, there's other fish in the sea. Okay, wow. The Dad Personal Assistant. Always thoughtful, always dependable, and always there for you. Pretty good, huh? Since I have a 21-year-old, I love that thing about Brad. Yeah, the lights go on. Dad, you get what I'm saying. But, um, yeah, I thought that was hilarious. It was a good one. So let me um, start by asking you this. And stating this, 
How many of us would say that Jesus, okay, Jesus trained his disciples, disciples skillfully? How many of us would actually say that for their future roles? And now, if you think he's called them, right, to do what they're called to do, then, of course, he'll train them the way they're supposed to be trained because they're going to be his disciples. And disciples are nothing more than believers and followers and supporters, right? That's what the word disciple means. And for a matter of fact, they're actually leaders too as well. And leaders are, are groundbreakers. They're trailblazers. They're front runners. And he wouldn't send them out to do what they needed to do unless he trained them. But you know, when I got saved about 30 years ago, I was concerned about that, about getting trained, about going uh, to classes and courses, which I did. But I was so concerned about that that I was really missing the Father's heart and why he's called me from the darkness into the light. And I was concentrating on the educational part, which is truly important. But there's a narrative part, I believe, that needs to be embedded in every Christian. And that's what he was doing with his disciples, because many of them knew something about the text, even though a lot of them really weren't following it too much, and they were looking for somebody to follow, right? But Jesus trained them right where they're at. For this reason, every Christian is obligated to be the best that he or she can be for God. And not every Christian, though, is called to carry a major leadership role inside the local church because most of what goes on in the local church isn't here. It isn't even all this, although it takes many hands, right, to do, to put on the type of services that needs to happen. But what actually needs to take place is that you and I need to catch the heart of who Jesus is so that we can begin to follow him the way he's asked us to follow him on a daily basis. Yet every person who is part of the local church is called to at least be the leader of one. So you may say, geez, Joe, I don't want to lead anybody else. Well, you're going to lead yourself. And let me say something to you, dad and mom. If you're in a marriage and you've got some kids, you've got some leadership there. And you have a responsibility for God, not only to get them prepared uh, economically for their future, but also spiritually for their future. And that's our responsibility and our obligation to God. And this is why, because each person that leads, whether it's many or one, they carry a measure of influence, right? A measure of influence with those around them. You carry a measure of influence. There's people that you can reach. I want to say that no one else can reach. Even if you think like, geez, I'm not that important, I'm not whatever. You know, in school, there's all these different classes of, of people that go in. We don't try to make it like that. It just kind of happens. We've all been through that, and those that are in it right now, would understand that even more so because it's brighter to them. But you're still around a group of people that look to you, even if it's two or three, and they're really looking for some kind of leadership, and you have a choice. They're either going to lead you or you're going to lead them. And let me tell you, the power of the universe lives inside of each and every one of us, and God's given us that ability and has given you that ability to lead. And the reason he's, the reason he's done that is that it's preparation for maybe a higher service later on of maybe more than just one, but maybe many, as he did with his disciples. He might call at you on any time to do whatever you need to do. If you've been in the military, and I haven't, but I've been told that they've been trained to perform the duty in front of them because if somebody gets taken out or gets transferred, somebody needs to step in. A lot of time that's in the field, and the same way within the kingdom of God because the Bible says that we're, sh- we're soldiers in Christ, doesn't it? Amen? So you might, you might ask, 
you know, Joe, where does all this training take place, right? I mean, we can't be here 24-7 getting trained, getting trained. And let me tell you, that's not the purpose of the local church to come in. It's to celebrate the goodness of what God's done for us. But most of our training is going to happen actually out in the field. That's where the training is going to take place. And that maybe that what you would call the critiquing or the encouraging of the training happens within the local church classroom. But Jesus has a classroom too, and it's called On the Way Ministries. The Bible says that everywhere he went, he ministered. Everywhere he went. He had particular places to go, but on the way to that, on the way to wherever he was going, there was always people that he was running into, and he ministered because God gave him those opportunities. This is kind of known as the highway or the road of life, right? The road of life. So what Jesus would do is he would gather his disciples, that's us, right from the road of life, and then place them, the disciples, and that's us, right, in an internship, enabling them and us just to jump right in and learn through the failures and the successes of life. Isn't that kind of cool? So right when you come in, you don't need to say, well, you know, I haven't taken this course and this course and this course. No, let me tell you, you've been through the course of life. You've learned some things, probably a lot of things that are good, and then you've learned some things that you probably shouldn't be doing, and then you'll realize later on that even the good things really weren't going to end up good at the end. So you've learned these things, and God kind of rewires us and places us together and says, okay, here we go. Let's walk this way. In our memory verse, a psalm says this. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his ways. So when God prepares his disciples as leaders, he prepares them with specific plans and a task. In mind, and the methods in which God uses or chooses us to do, He does that and He adapts it with the task that's in front of us. So God prepares you for what He wants you to do later on. And different people have different roles. Honestly, if you think about it, just the professions and the services that you have right now in the community or in the surrounding communities, they all differ. But everybody is important. We learned that in the pandemic, didn't we? If the bread guy doesn't get up in the morning and make the bread, we don't have bread. The mail doesn't get brought to us. How do we get our mail? You can go on down the line to the grocery store, the truck drivers. We realize that the restaurants that we say, geez, there's so many restaurants. It's like, is there one open? We've seen the importance of what every, all the roles that are played in that way. In the same way in the kingdom of God, there's specific ways and plans that God's placed you together to do what he's called you to do. All of you are here not because you just fell here. It was actually ordained by God. I honestly believe and it brought you together as a community to do something that God has asked you to do in this region, in this area. Amen? So I believe that God's still looking for men and women in the same similar way. And the only prerequisite that Jesus ever had was this, is that you had to be untrained to follow him and without influence. These guys that follow him, they weren't dummies. I mean, they were business owners. you got some fishing guys out there, right? They're, they're doing business. They know what they're doing. But they hadn't gone to the higher learning of where the Pharisees were. They weren't walking around thinking they knew everything. So when I read this, I thought, see, I fit right in there because I know absolutely nothing. I was born and raised a Catholic, and I do mean born and raised a Catholic, and I never really went to church, and I never did my first communion. I never did my confirmation, right? My wife has. I never did. So I was perfect when I came in. I knew absolutely nothing. I need to learn everything, right? But that's what God's looking for. So if you fall in that category, now, right now you may be a little bit trained, so I'm not saying you don't need to be trained, but when Jesus finds you, you don't need to be trained. 
because he actually wants to do the training. And he's pulling you right from life. So just think about where you were. Think about where you were on the playground. Think about where you were on your sports teams. Maybe the uh, influence that you have inside your job. All that was to bring you to where God wants to take you within the local church. Not working full time in the local church per se, but maybe. But the influence that you carry out in the world, I want to say is very, very great and awesome. So his goal was to gather men and women who humbled, were humbled by life. Humbled by, I'll tell you, I've been humbled by life. Let me tell you. I've paid for my education, for the mistakes that I've made. And I've made plenty. And God saved me from those mistakes. But people who are humbled by life with very little education and that were unspoiled by the sophistication of the day. That's what he was looking for. Father, I just pray right now as we just go through this word that we would all connect with this in some way, God. You'd speak to each and every person's heart here, Father. And just allow them to see what you've placed inside of them, God. What you think about them, Lord. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's many Bible stories that we can go to to point to these type of men and women. Many. But today I'd like to take us through the book of Daniel. Through the book of Daniel. Amen? We'll go through the book of Daniel. Some of it, not all of it. It's a large book. Let me say this to you. I want to say this before because I may not say it later. Take a look at Jan uh, Daniel chapter 1 through 6 and read it. Read it. And you don't need to read it all in one sitting. No, you can. But just read it and dream a little bit because, because God wants to put some dreams in your heart. God wants to see some things that he's placed in your heart through prophecies. He wants to see those things fulfilled. And I'm not just saying this. I've been praying for you guys. This is what I hear God saying for Hope Rock Church. Amen? Amen. So when you think about it, there's been plenty of earthly kingdoms that have come and go. They come and go. They're here today, gone tomorrow. Very many earthly kingdoms. Like in the day uh, before Jesus, like the Babylonian Empire that we're going to take briefly a look at today, uh, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, it's a huge empire. Alexander the Great, huge empire, in impacting the world. The Babylonian, I'm telling you, it was a big deal when King Nebuchadnezzar was in charge, a big, big deal. And then, of course, the Roman Empire. But in Daniel 2.45, the Bible speaks of an everlasting kingdom. I want you to hear this, an everlasting kingdom. Chapter 2 in Daniel is incredible. Read it and let God speak to you about what is being said inside that chapter. You'll honestly be blown away. But in uh, Daniel 2.45, the Bible speaks of the everlasting kingdom. It talks about a rock that will be carved out of a mountain and not by human hands. It talks about these statues of imagery. I wish I could talk about that, but God has given me something else alongside of this to talk about. So if you will, please turn with me to uh, Daniel chapter 1, if you can. And I'm just going to kind of get us started with a little bit of background. The Bible states that Daniel was a young, God-fearing Jew who was transplanted from his home in Jerusalem and then raised in Babylon for about 60-plus years, almost 70 years, about kind of back and forth within some years from different commentary writers. Uh, Daniel also had three friends, close friends, who also would not compromise their Jewish, Jewish faith or values and later putting their own lives on the line for those values. It's pretty interesting what God does with these, these young men that are full of power, but they still need to have faith without a doubt. Now, Daniel and his friends, they stood as God witnesses to the Gentile kings and their kingdoms for over 70 years. I was just chatting with somebody yesterday, I think it was you, Tim, that 
um, Daniel stood in three different kingdoms, in pagan kingdoms, and he became a prophet not only to the nation of Israel, which was really secondary, more futuristic than what he was prophesying on, but it was more relevant to the kings that he served, which were pagan kings, and he was high in government. So when people say today you can't be in government and serve God, I'm telling you, that's not the way it was ever supposed to be. God wanted men and women to be influenced in the places they are. And you can consider government your workplace. That God's placed you there for a reason. Those of you that are high up inside of your businesses, that have, have some clout that God's given you, he's given you that for a reason, not just to have the nice things that you get from that, but there's a resource that God's placed you in there. And I want to say this to you. People may snarl, they may look at you differently, but when it comes down to needing something, they're coming to you. They're going to catch you in the hallway. They're going to kind of pass a note to you and say, hey, you know, what church do you go to? Uh, what did you say about this? Somebody told me, oh, that's a bunch of baloney. That's a great, I love when people are very negative when they first talk to me because what they're saying, I really want to talk to you. They're looking to engage. And you got to look for these things. And I want to say God's positioned many of you in here today in those kind of arenas at this time, and he wants to position you even more so into the future for others. Amen? Amen. Let me see where I'm at here. Yes, okay. In Daniel 2.30, the Bible states that, that Daniel, listen to this, Daniel's wisdom was no greater than any other living man. This is what Daniel says, because the king says, I need you to interpret something for me, Daniel. He says, can you do it? And Daniel says, no. He tells the king, no. Lop the head time when he tells the king, no. But he tells him, no. He says, I can't do it, but my God can interpret this. So he asked him to interpret a dream. Now listen to this. He never told them the dream. It's like, I had a dream. Come up here and interpret my dream. And if you don't know what my dream is, you're going to die. That's pressure, man. I mean, when you think about it, I've read it before, and it was kind of like when you're reading it, you're thinking, interpreting dream. Well, I seen this cat, and he went down to this bird, and okay, well, I think that, you know, the cat is this, and the bird is that. No, he says, interpret this dream because he asked his own people to interpret it, and they couldn't interpret it for him. He told them, you guys are trying to manipulate me. There's no way. Unless you can tell me your dream, all of you are dead, and that includes Daniel. So when Daniel goes back and asks God, asks the king for some time, and he says, I'll go back and I'll ask God about this, he goes back with his friends, and he says, let's plead with God's mercy. And Daniel at that time had no, no inkling of what interpreting dreams were. There was no gifting, there was no promotion, there was no anything. He was a little bit wiser because of some of the things I'm going to talk about right now. Right? So you see, Daniel was just an ordinary servant of God whose character mirrored a man of faith, prayer, courage, consistency, and who would not compromise their own God values. And he was schooled in life. He didn't go to the school of the prophets like some of the other guys did, and there's nothing wrong with that, let me tell you. If you ever have an opportunity to do some higher learning, like some of you have, I know you have, it's a privilege. I didn't have that privilege. I went through the business arena and then got into the kingdom of God and started reading and going through and doing the NCMI training that they have and all that because I couldn't see my way out. I think it was a big mistake. I think I should have went back to the, the scholastic route and things would have happened a lot quicker for me. But I took the other route. Nevertheless, whatever route you take, God is there waiting for you to bring you through. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. There you go. We're going to get a little Pentecostal here if we need to. So, yeah. 
just a little bit. Okay, so let's go to Daniel chapter 1, okay? I'll read a few verses, I'll make some comments, and we'll have to move through. In the third year of the reign of, of uh, Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jerichim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. So he took some of those articles with him when he went in and he sieged them. That's where he found Daniel, okay? Into the hands, and then along with some of the articles. In verse 3 it says, And the king ordered Aphanaz, the uh, chief of the uh, court's officials, to bring some of the Israelites to the royal family and to the nobilities. Then in, uh, chap then in verse 4b, the second part of that verse, it says, He was to teach them languages and literature of the Babylonians. The kings assigned them, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. So there he is, and that's the story that kind of launches us through. And furthermore, during that historical period of Daniel's ministry, God gifted him and his friends, his three friends, around the age of 16. How old are you guys? 14, yeah, right here. Here's your three wise guys right here. We're always looking, honestly, for let's get the older ones, the more mature ones. I don't know, right? That's when we get older, we get more mature, correct? Yeah, right, yeah. Absolutely. But God used young people. Most of the um, Israel's army, their, their captains and stuff, they're young guys, 20 years old and stuff. They're leading many people behind them. That's the way God does it. That's how he rolls, as they say, right? So during that period, his three friends, he gets them, and then he gets, they get blessed in the area of wisdom and knowledge, and then Daniel gets blessed with the interpretation of dreams. So this is the first time that we see that Daniel walks in and he's actually gifted with something that he didn't have before. And it all started off with him just being obedient to God and trusting God. And he had to prove to the king that there was something greater that was living in him than he that was living in the world. So there's three characteristics of the leader within. So let's go to the first one. The leader within spends time fasting. Yeah, that's a, one of those F words. Fasting, right? Praying and exalting the Lord. That's what being a leader is. It's about introducing those three elements inside of your life. Because if he didn't go and fast, right, and eat some vegetables and some fruit with his buddies, he was dead. So he had to get a hold of God. And all fasting does is not make you hungry and that you're starving, but it keeps you focused on what you're doing. And I believe every time your stomach growls or you get a little thirsty or whatever it is, it reminds you what you're doing it for and it becomes intentional. And God ends up breaking in and does some things in your life pretty quickly. So in verse 9 it says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, Hey, I'm afraid of the king. If I go ahead and do what you're asking me to do, he's going to kill me. If you look worse than everybody else. I'm just paraphrasing now, but this is the verse up here for the sake of time. In verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard, please test your servant for 10 days. In verse 12, give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. So they agreed uh, to this and they tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And then in verse 17, it says, to these four young men, 
men, God gave them knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Uh, Daniel 1, 9 through 17. So that was the result of him going back and starting what I would say his ministry out by just simply going to God first before going to anybody else. Uh, Friends, Daniel and his friends were both gifted by God and seen as leaders by others. Gifted by God and then seen as leaders by others. Why? Because they spent personal time with God through fasting, through praying, through praising the Lord. Okay, let me say this. I was just pausing to think whether I was going to use this or not. But um, quickly, I, uh, in, in our first church plant, uh, things were going well. There was a lot of people interested in coming. We, it was me and Sue and a few others, and we were in this townhome comp- uh, complex, and we were gathering people. And we were saying people were falling off the trees, you know, because they were just coming and, and getting saved. Well, or, during a period of time in about six months, I, get, I ran into a stress disorder. And I got so bad that when I woke up one night, there was blood on my pillow, and it came from the, my eyes. I am kid you not, down in here. That's how stressed I was. I was in the insurance business. I was doing well. But to handle both things at one time, I thought it was all that in a bag of chips. And I'm telling you, I wasn't. I realized that whatever my prayer life was, it needed to excel. Whatever my devotional time was, wasn't good enough. It was good back then when I was serving as a deacon, But as God called me further into the ministry, there were some changes that had to be made. He allowed some things to happen. By and large, the doctors said, you're suffering from stress. I'm going to put you on some pills for a year. You'll be fine. And I said, no, I don't want to take pills. There's one other thing I need to do. He says, well, what's that? I says, I need to pray. He goes, I'll pray and take the pills. I said, no, no, I need to pray. So when I went back to my buddies, I said, I told them what he said, and I said, I need to pray. They said, Joe, you already pray. I said, no. I don't pray. I need to really seek God for this. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll go. Now, I'm not against medicine because I take it. I'm not foolish. But I felt like I didn't give God an opportunity to do something in my life that I needed done. So for one year, we went out in the morning, and we prayed at 5 o'clock in the morning for one year, from Friday through Saturday, and then Sunday we prayed at the church. Every morning, right? Guys came out with me every morning. Raining? We prayed. Sunshine, we prayed. And I prayed every week. And I'm telling you, I'm not saying this for you guys to pray. It was life and death for me. So about three to six months, about four months later into my time, God said this to me. Just, I'm in a service, and Chris Veenan, he's preaching at that time, and God tells me, I've interrupted your life. That's it. I've interrupted your life. And I said, you interrupted my life. I said, well, yeah, you've interrupted my life. Well, why? And then nothing. And then continue to pray. And about, I'm not kidding you, just around about six weeks later, I'm at a restaurant, we're eating. I start to tear and I start to cry. And God says, you've taken your eyes off of me. Immediately, within a day or two, that thing broke off of me. I felt like there was a a ball, like a 50-pound ball on my chest. I couldn't sleep at night, right? When sun went down, I freaked out, honestly. I couldn't eat or anything. I was... Stress was something that happened to somebody else. And maybe I'm sharing this because maybe some of you are feeling that wherever you're at, maybe through the pandemic in your workplace, maybe you're having time, trouble sleeping. But medication is good, but I'm telling you, there's nothing like homegrown prayer in a person's heart. Amen? Amen. So spend some time with that. There's different types of fasting that goes on. I'm going to say it quickly. 
It'll be in the notes up there if you want to get it later. Jesus went out for 40 days, obviously, and he started his ministry like that. Paul, instead of going to all the apostles and going to the church and telling them the wonderful revelation he got, he went out to the Arabia Desert to spend uh, time with God, to Arabia, to spend time with, uh, with Christ to get his commission. Galatians 1, 15 through 20, you can read about it. But there's three types of basic fasts. One is an absolute fast, no food or water for a period of time. Exodus 34, 28, Esther 4, 16, you can read about it. There's another kind of fast, a normal fast. It's only water, but no food or no drink, right? Uh, Nehemiah 1, 4, right? And then there's a partial fast, which is usually only water, juices, and sometimes fruits and vegetables. I use that a lot. It's called, known as a Daniel fast uh, for that. You can do fasts for three days, for 10 days. Uh, we do one for 21 days in September just to hear God. I'm telling you, during that time, you hear God. You really do. You start hearing things and you start wanting to know more about God during that period of time because there's a purpose and a focus and there's a grace that comes on you. And I don't know where you're a life is for fasting here inside the local church, but I'm telling you, it should be part of any person that's following Christ. We need that to reboot our system in a sense. You know, it's a cleansing of, of sp the spiritual things that come in and out of our lives. Amen? Amen. The second thing is the leader within establishes is established out of conviction and conflict for the glory of God. You can read more about that in 2 Timothy 1 verses 7 through 12. When you get some time, take a look at that with this point. But this is about the fiery furnace. It's in da uh, Daniel chapter 3. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he makes an image of gold. It's 90 feet high in verse 1. It says 90 feet wide. It's huge, massive, and it's set up in the plains in the province of Babylon. He then summons his, his, his satraps and all the other officials to, to come to dedicate the image he has set up. So King Nebuchadnezzar has already ran into Daniel. Daniel gives him a dream, the interpretation of a dream that he never gave him, right? Nebuchadnezzar never told him that dream. He's already seen the power of God inside of him. He blessed Daniel. He gave him all kinds of things. And Daniel didn't ask for any of those things, but he gave them to him. So Daniel took those things. And he was, he was made high in the officials during that time. So he puts up this statue and in verse 5, it says, as soon as, uh, he heard this, as soon as you hear the sound of the kind of music uh, that goes on, you need to fall down, you need to worship this image of gold, and you need to worship King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, there's a problem going on. And, that's, and the problem is this, is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are the three guys that went into service with Daniel, that Daniel said, hey, these are three good guys, bring them in too. They're now going to get tested. Daniel was already tested, and he saved everybody that was one of those types of people in that kingdom, in that pagan kingdom. He saved them through God. Amen? Amen. So what he does in verse 12, these troublemakers, which are all the guys that are around, they're jealous of him, right? There's, he says, they, they write, there's some Jews in verse 12, who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They pay no attention to you, king. They neither serve your God or worship your golden image. So, the, so what does the king do in verse 13, the first part of it? He's furious with rage. And then in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar says to them, is it true, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? Is it true that you don't serve my God, you don't worship my image? Is it true that you don't, that you don't honor those things? This is what he's telling them. 
And then they go on to be very respectful. Oh, king, yes, it is. They're basically saying, oh, king, but we can't bow down to your image. We know God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to do that. So in verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was furious again, and his attitude changed towards them. It changed towards them, which means he was talking to them with being serious, but he had that look like that video when the dad comes on and it turns red, right? He got that look, and it must have frightened him, honestly, because I've seen that look before, unfortunately, being in front of a judge one time in my early years when a judge said, you just like the party, don't you? And I said, yes, but he goes, shh. And I'm telling you, fear ran into my heart. I wasn't saved at that time, but I knew what authority was. And this is the kind of authority this king had. He had the authority to live or to die. He could order those things just like that. So he says, hey, get that hot, that furnace hotter, seven times hotter than usual. And command some of the strongest guys, the soldiers, to throw them into the furnace. So these guys are tied up. They tie them up. They come next to the furnace. And as soon as they get there, the flames jump out and consume the two guys. They're burnt up. Well, guess what happens to Daniel? I mean, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They just, boop, fall right in, just like that. The ropes burn off of them, but they don't get, they don't get touched. They fall right in. These guys must have been, oh, my goodness, what, what's here we go. This is it, you know, and I'm wondering why they didn't get burned right there. But they fell right in there. And 24, the verse, the verse says this, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked the advisors, weren't there three men tied up? And they said, yes, certainly, O king, there was. Verse 25, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. What an amazing thing, right, to see those things happen. Now, these guys were out there minding their own business, doing their own thing, but when they heard what was going on, they didn't care. They said, I'm still going to follow my God and my king because they had a revelation, an understanding. God was now raising them right in the pagan kingdom to be leaders of many. Do you know how much influence they would have? It would be like this church was in China right now and you were given audience to, to, the, to the president of China right now, to the ruler of China, and you were the spokesperson. And he called you to interpret dreams, Charlie. That's how it would be, that Marco would come in and he would be one of the wise counsels and the deacons would come in and they'd bring him in and they'd call all of you guys in because they knew that when you kneeled down that God heard your prayers. That's what was happening at this time. It's an amazing story to see that right in the middle of all that turmoil that God was doing miracles. And even today in the pandemic, all these things that are happening, I want to say this, God's doing stuff and he's doing stuff through you and he's doing stuff through me. People are watching. It's a great opportunity, a great opportunity to see the kingdom of God advanced in many, many ways. And guess what? He's called you to be part of it, each and every one of you. Amen? So you see, the king knew that. This is interesting, that, that God lived in Daniel. But he didn't really think that God lived in the other three. He thought they were kind of, yeah, they're good. They're kind of Daniel's, you know, sidekicks and stuff. No. So he brought them in, and he basically tested their faith right? And you see, Daniel and his friend's leadership had to be tested and tried. So when you as Christians start going through stuff, you're being tested and tried. Embrace it. Just say, geez, there's promotion around the corner. Soon as you get tested and tried, and you have been lately, 
God says you have been lately. But I want to say this to you. You're tested and tried because there's promotion that's coming your way. God sees something in you that maybe you haven't seen in yourself. So in verse 29, this is what happens at the end of all this. This is what the king says, therefore the decree, I, therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, listen to this, will be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then what did the king do? Promoted them. The king promoted them after. After they got dumped inside the fire, after they were, those two other guys got burnt around them, after they got tested and tried, he promotes them. He realizes that this God that was in Daniel didn't only live in Daniel, now he's living in these other guys. Why am I saying this? Because many times in the church today, people think that God only lives in the lead guy, in the lead couple. And then maybe he leads, he lives in the, in the eldership team, hopefully, Right? And then maybe the deacons, some of them, God's living in there, maybe they're not. And then you look at the, the priesthood of all believers and we're hoping for the best. I want to say God lives in each and every one of you. And people need to see that. That's why we need to step out and pray. That's why we need to step out and encourage people. Because the God of the universe lives inside of you three right here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Huh? All three of you, Honestly. He lives in you and he lives in me and he wants to move through you. Jeez, Joe, I haven't done it. I'm petrified. Listen, God says he'll give you the words to speak. There's nothing that would tell me that these, these guys were eloquent in their speech. But when God came in, they had something to say. Otherwise, they had nothing to say. They went about their business and they got promoted as God wanted to see them promoted. Who doesn't want a promotion And whatever you do in here? Is there anybody that doesn't want one? If you want one, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise it. I'm sure you do. You're thinking, is this a trick question, Joe? No. I know you want to get promoted on whatever it is that you're doing or to help somebody else reach their goals, whatever it is that you're doing. The last one. Am I still good? Okay. All right. So the leader within, listen to this, is rewarded for their perseverance and humility for the cross. They're rewarded. In Daniel chapter 5, this is about the lion's den. It's a famous lion's den story. We've all known it. As children, we've grown up. Even me, who wasn't going to church, I knew about this one, right? I knew about this one. But in verse 31 of chapter 5, it's the last one. Now there's another, king, another guy that's come in. Daniel has went through King Nebuchadnezzar, and in chapter, I believe it's 3, I believe Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. Honestly, I do. Because he gets turned into this kind of wild animal. He's eating stuff, grass and everything. And then God says, you're going to go out there because you're getting bold and you think you've done everything. Daniel gives him the interpretation of this tree vision that he has. This time he tells Daniel the dream and he interprets it. And then later on, he's on the roof 12 months later. He says, look at all that I've done. Look at all these great things that I've done. It's all done because I'm great, basically, paraphrasing. And then he heard a voice from heaven saying, right now, your tree is going to be cut down all the, way to the, all the way to the stump, but the roots will remain. And not until you repent, kept Nebuchadnezzar, will you be restored. And he stood out there for a while, and he did repent, he did come back in. And when he came back in, he gave glory to God. Matter of fact, he says God's the only one that can save. So he gives this pagan king, now listen to me, this king would never, would never have gotten that way if Daniel wasn't there. And God could have used Daniel out with the people, but he was using Ezekiel and others out with the people at that time. 
but he used Daniel inside this, this regime. So however you view the United States right now, your city, God wants to use you. You're a voice right now. You guys are in a beautiful place, and there's many people that need to know who God really is because there's many people in this city that know about God, and that's all. I know about President Biden, but I don't know him personally. I know about him, but I don't know him. And people walk around with the same injury of God. I understand, yeah, I know who Jesus is, but they don't know Jesus, and they don't know how to make him known. Amen? So then, in verse 1 of 6, it says this, it pleased Darius, he's the new ruler. So he goes through King Nebuchadnezzar, then his son takes reign. He gives him an interpretation of a dream. It's not too good for him. The son dies. You'll have to read about that too as well. That's another story. But this is the last one I want to touch on uh, today. Uh, Darius comes in. He's the Medes and the Persians. He comes in and he appoints 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of them, Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, right? So that the king wouldn't suffer loss. And then in verse 3, it says, Now Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel walks in. Anything could have happened to him, right, Charlie? Anything. But he walks in, and God just gives him favor again. And this king, Darius, had to know something about Daniel because he led him in the three, at least. But then he's seen him. God gave him favor, and now he wants to promote him. But guess what happens? See, friends, those who don't understand, those who don't understand Daniel's relationship with God were at odds with him. Sometimes your friends and family, because they don't understand that you truly want to have a relationship with God, they don't understand why in the world would you give up your tithe to the church because, you know, churches are only after money. Why would you spend another time at the meeting? I mean, don't you care about the family? These are natural things that happen. These guys weren't bad guys. They just didn't understand the personal relationship with God that Daniel had that was really excited about it. They didn't understand it, so they wanted to come against that, that very thing. But as Daniel remained humbled and persevered in leadership, the king, his king, his boss, promoted him, right? But the more Daniel prayed, the more his enemies felt threatened by him. So the more you go after God, right, Jeremy? The more your enemies want to come after you. And they only want to come after you because they don't know who you're serving. What else will they do? I tell people all the time, people that are not saved, that don't understand like I was, they're doing only what they know how to do. They're not looking to harm you. They're not looking to make your day ruined. They just think they're trying to help you out of something that you've been dragged into and chained into. But in actuality, God, all he's doing is promoting you, and people are seeing that, and eventually, like these guys see, because they do see him walking out of the lion's den, they find out that this relationship that he has with God, this leader within has bursted out now. He's in full flight, 70 years in that king and those kingdoms, now a third kingdom he's part of it. They realize that there's something different about Daniel. He's so, so different, right? And verse uh, 4b, it says, they could find no corruption in him. It says, because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt or neglect, right? And then in verse 5, it says, Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of God. So listen, don't let the world trip you up. 
they're going to want to trip you up. I remember we, uh, we had stopped partying after we, uh, I'll just use that, we'd start partying. I did, really. Sue really didn't. I did. But we'd stop partying. And, um, and then one time we went to a dance, I think we were, and I hadn't drank in a while. And believe me, if you have a drink, I'm, I have no problem with that whatsoever. But at that time, I needed, I needed to stop. And I told her, I just want to have a drink. She looked at me, well, you can have one. I'm not going to. And I said, well, why not? I said, what are you, getting all religious on me? I did that number, right? Yeah, so, yeah, manipulation. You understand that. I was still in that era of manipulation and stuff. Still pretty good at it for all the years that I'd been practicing, right? So I said, come on. So finally she said, okay. Well, what happens? There's somebody with a photographer walking around the way. <laughs> right? Well, we don't know that. You know, we didn't get smashed or anything, but we had a couple drinks, and that was the end of it. Well, later on in the insurance industry and where I'm at, they come and they lay it here on my table. They go, here, Joe, you might want this. And I said, I looked at it and I thought, oh my God, just like the devil, you know, bringing it right back in my face. Because I made a decision. I gave into something that I knew God really didn't want me to give into at that particular time. Like I said, I'm not against that. This talk is not about that whatsoever. But I'm just saying this because the world will try to trip you up in certain things, even good things, doing good things. I love vacationing. Oh, man, I love vacationing. I live for vacationing, honestly, I do. I love to go away. I had a motorhome, a boat. I had a boat, but I only took it out twice because I got saved. I would sit in the boat in my garage, right? And I was basically, I was, I was getting, trying to stop smoking, and Susan would come in, and I'd have it down here. <laughs> what are you doing, Joe? Nothing, just trying to get the boat going and stuff, right? It was an interesting time for me. I don't know why I said that, but I'm sorry. My daughter's looking at me. You smoked? You told me not to. Yeah. So, but what did they do? Okay. They immediately got together. These are the satraps. They immediately got together to conspire against Daniel and the children of Israel. All of them, because heads were going to start rolling. They erected a statue again of King Darius. They did the statue thing again, right? The devil, he comes back. All he's got to do is wait a generation or two. And he'll come back in the same way and hit you in the same way and the same thing will happen. So what he does, why he does this? Because Daniel prayed three times a day. But what did he pray for? Well, what else? He prayed for God and country. That's what he prayed for. Right now, when you pray, pray for God and country. In other words, pray for the things that God put inside your heart. Let me tell you something. Prophetic prayers are the best thing because he's about to get dropped in the lion's den. And he didn't know that. King Darius didn't know that he was going to be dropped in the lion's den. They were buddies. From what I can see in the text, they, he actually cared for Daniel. This is a pagan king who had many gods, and he knew Daniel had his god too as well, which I'm sure they've had conversations about this. And some of you right now may feel like you're in the lion's den, right now in the lion's den that Daniel was getting thrown into. Some of you right now may be going through a fiery furnace. So in the right now, in a few minutes, I'd like to call up and have some ministry time. And if you feel like if you feel like that, whether you are or not, I'd like you to come on the right side of me and just come up. I'd like to pray for you. God wants to release you, honestly, from that. Right now, he wants to release you. This is what I heard from God. So if that's you, don't hesitate. When I call, just come. And some of you here need a healing, a physical healing. I'd like you to come to the left of me over here because God wants to do something inside of you. And listen, it's God. If you get healed today, it's God. If you get saved today, it's God. It's not me. It's not anybody else. It's God. It's God Almighty. He has a perfect time.
for everything, for everything. I went into church many years and never got saved. And then one day I was in my bedroom, sick, helpless, defenseless. My sisters walk in and I get saved, crying like a baby. So you never know when someone's going to give their life over to God. And you may be a person right here today that needs that. You need the forgiveness and the refresh, refreshing that God can bring to you and only he can. So right at the end here, it says in verse 19, it says, at first light of dawn, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den, right? I believe that King Darius, he got up and ran to that lion's den. I think God did all that so that Darius could get saved. Honestly, do because he runs to the lion's den to see, Daniel, are you okay? Now he's in there with hungry lions. Hungry lions that will eat you. and They don't feed those things down there, from what I understand. In historical books that I kind of looked at, they don't feed them because they were there for one reason, to eat you and me. That was it. So he's going to throw them in, and he threw them in. They went in, inside. So Daniel's there. And this is kind of what I image that for me. The text doesn't say this, but I believe Daniel just got down on his knees. <sighs> he got down, and he just said, God, if this is my last day, then so be it. But I trust in you. I put my hands in your life. And I believe he sat down just like this. And I want to tell you, when you kneel like this, there's nothing that can get you. Nothing that can come against you. You are guarded by God. By God, because this is the most humble state. You know right now, if people were attacking for you, for you to go down like this, you know what's going to happen. Now, I'm not saying that you need to. But in Daniel's case, he'd been praying three times a day. This is the position he prayed in. He must have went in like that. What else would you do? He could have ran around, oh, my Lord, the lions. Oh, no, he just went in, the Bible says. And during that time, I love, I love Star Wars and all that stuff and the force and all that. It's just it's exciting. to. I love science fiction. And I just feel like there's this, there's this whole power that just went around him. And he was just there. And the lions looked at him, yawned, and didn't even notice that he was there. And he just got down, and he kneeled down. He only did what he was doing all along, because Darius needed to get saved. I believe that. And God needed to perfect Daniel in what he was doing. So again, even though Daniel did all the things that he did, this time his life was really threatened, and it was in front of him. Amen? To the glory of God for Daniel. So at first dawn he comes. Verse 20 says, When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in anguished voice. And Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you, Daniel? And he says, Yes, king, I'm here. Live forever. I'm here. God's found nothing wrong in me, or I've done nothing wrong to you. And I'm paraphrasing, but this is what he said at the end. So at the end of this, he gets the guys who did this, and he throws them in the lion's den. And those guys that did this, because he knew he was tricked, because they said, look, you can't, you can't take away this decree. Medes and Persians, when you put it down, it's in writing, and basically it's in blood. It has to happen. He got them, and he threw them in the lion's den. Well, the lions weren't sitting down anymore. <laughs> the Bible says that they, they crunched them. They crushed them, their bones, everything, ate them all up, gobbled them. So then at the end, this is what Darius says, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that every part 
of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is a living God and he has endured forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will live forever. What a glorious thing. A glorious thing. Can I get... Yeah. Thank you, Lord. So Daniel starts off just like you and me, working in the workforce, going to school. He's 16 years old, obeying his parents, not obeying his parents, whatever he did, the three, his three friends hanging out. And right from where he's at, they take him out of life and he puts him in a place and then he starts doing further training. He refines them basically. When I came into the kingdom after 30 years of being in the world, I had a lot of skill and gifting in business but I had no knowledge of anything. If you couldn't do something that I needed you to do, I wouldn't spend time with you. When I spent time with people on the baseball field because I played for many years, I would tell Susan, this person's going to be my client because there was something in it for me. When I came into the kingdom, God changed all that for me. I wouldn't even sell a policy to anybody in the church. They would ask me, and I said, no. My, the guy who brought me through, who did the finishing work on me during that time, he said, why don't you? I said, because I'll never know whether I'm after that person's business or really to truly help. That's where I was at that particular time. And God changed all that. And he brought me through this place of training in life. And he took what I learned, came in here and said, Joe, we're going to get rid of most of that or all of it. And then I'm going to build you back up again. Thank you for listening to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. We are a church that is passionate about knowing Christ and making him known in our city, the nation, and the ends of the earth. For more information on who we are, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook.